Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Ask a Creator Economist podcast. This episode, we have three really cool topics that we cover. The first of which comes from Nicole, who's a fitness and nutrition coach. And uh, she basically was offered to be on a podcast, but they wanted her to actually pay for it. So she asked us if that's worth it, if she should be doing stuff like that. We give her our tips on just the utility of collaboration and of appearing on podcasts and how that can be great for your reach. The second question comes from Nadine, who has a very successful SEO blog where she talks about content, marketing, um, growth strategies, and all that kind of stuff. And she's kind of wondering how she could diversify despite the fact that she's been pretty successful. So we give her a couple of tips on how she could slowly diversify and not put all of her eggs in one basket. And the last question comes from Laura, who is, this is pretty cool, an underwater photographer. And she had some success in the last bull cycle of the blockchain industry where she was able to sell NFTs to people. And she actually made a good amount of money doing that. And uh, she's kind of wondering how she can kind of keep that going or how she could pivot or, you know, what next steps could be. So we give her tips on just, you know, the NFT market and how she could uh, kind of like stick with it and diversify as well. So we hope you guys do enjoy this episode. If you do, please give it a like, a share, subscribe, all that cool stuff that helps the algorithm. And if you do have a question to submit, please do go to unify.io slash podcast. You can find that down below in the show notes and submit a question. We'd love to answer it live on the podcast. All right, guys. Peace. All right, guys. So let's go ahead and start this episode with, ep- with question one, which comes from Nicole. So Nicole says, what do you think about guest appearances on podcasts and should I be willing to pay for them? I was recently asked to come in a podcast, but they wanted to charge me a thousand US dollars to appear. So this is an interesting topic. This comes from Nicole, as I mentioned, she's a nutritional advice and fitness coach. Uh, She mostly uses TikTok and Instagram. And yeah. So what do you guys think about this? Who wants to take this one first? I can go ahead. So there are two aspects to the question. Number one, in general, guest appearances on podcasts. And number two, paying for guest appearances on podcasts. So on the first half of the question, I would say it's definitely a great tool, especially if you are in the phase where you are building reach, if you want to build out your own audience, your brand, and so on. Definitely popping on other podcasts makes sense. Then, of course, today there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of podcasts and I would suggest to be a bit selective and do your research, which of them have a active following, which really fit in terms of audience that you could convert to your to your own channels. And that is then, especially if you mostly focus on TikTok and Instagram, these are channels that are short format. And by hopping on podcasts, you give your audience and another audience an opportunity to to meet you in a different way in a more long form format and i guess that can be really cool i guess in the spaces nutritional advice and fitness there are there are plenty of interesting podcasts and it's definitely a a format where you can go deep and therefore this can this could also be one really addition beneficial. briefly um also worth taking a look as you mentioned the uh, different short form long form uh, some podcasts do a really good job of taking snippets afterwards and also putting those on Instagram in reels or putting those on TikTok. So the amount of post-production that they do and not just post-production, but also like how they repurpose, uh, re- repurpose that content obviously uh, makes a difference. 
Um, if they do a very good job at that, you will get additional exposure. And then I guess, uh, Thomas, back to the second part of the question. Yeah, so paying for them obviously is a decision that you need to make and that I would definitely first base on what do you actually have to sell and how how relevant, how big is the podcast in terms of benefits you think you can get from it. So for example, if you have a fitness program or a nutrition program that you want to market, that you sell maybe something that you sell at a, at a three-figure or, or medium-high two-figure amount, then it could definitely be a worthwhile investment if you jump on the right podcast and pay 1k like a thousand for an appearance on the joe rogan podcast would be great a thousand for an appearance on our podcast maybe not so much yeah definitely so so you need to do your homework on the respective podcast one, one thing that is tricky of course is it's really hard to get a good grasp of the real audience of a podcast e even sometimes for the podcasters themselves because if they are if they republish it on YouTube there you can get an idea but of course that's only half the equation but the the podcast ecosystem is so decentralized there are so many podcast listener apps so for instance if you publish on Spotify you will get some data about the number of listens per episode But on other platforms, you only get download numbers, but you don't really know if everybody who downloaded also listened to it. So it's fuzzy. But nevertheless, the best thing you need to do is to ask the podcast that offers you a paid appearance for audience data. And then you take a look into the audience size, how big is the reach, but also the quality and the factors. And if there is a good overlap, and if it could have a, a positive return on invest for you, then you might decide just, to pay If I can just jump it. in and just add one more thing to keep an eye out for, um, which sure. I'm not sure if any of you guys mentioned, uh, but the actual demographics of the audience, right? So maybe that's too obvious to even mention it, but if a podcast that's in an overlapping industry reaches out to you, but their users or their listeners don't quite fit the end user that you know would be applicable to your brand um this could be more of like an a reach type of campaign that you could do but if it's something that you're looking for to like move the needle and to get registration signups or even you know sales uh just make sure that the audience the end user of that podcast matches yours um so just when it comes to metrics to look out for if you can do do some due diligence look into the podcast into the audience the user demographics you know And that should be able to help you. No. Yeah, definitely. And then also make sure that you do not only get to appear on the podcast for your payment, but that all the promotion they do also promotes the channels that are most important for you. So be that your Instagram or your TikTok, or if you have a site where you sell something, let them, let them promote this. And then it can be value for money, but definitely you need to do a bit of homework on the respective show that yeah, is offering some, some super basic so, to-dos. Just make sure that they do link to your podcast or to your social accounts on like the YouTube description, on the podcast description, on the show notes, all that kind of stuff. Those are like just like tedious little things you should check check off to make sure that they do just so that people can easily find your content. I think if people are tasked with having to type in your channel, I think conversion rates just drop 
right? So if there's links that people can easily click on, that's just something to keep in mind. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And that is basically my recommendation to Nicole at this point. Do guest appearances, do them on relevant podcasts, only pay for them if it can make sense for you. If you if you are just looking to build your, your Instagram and TikTok reach, then maybe it's not worth it, except if it is like one of the biggest fitness podcasts, for instance, where yeah. they have a proven track record of bringing audience to their guests, then even in that case, it might I have, make sense. I have just a couple comments for so, Nicole. Um, I know you didn't really ask this. I just figured maybe if there's any other listeners who are in this boat, um, for these types of things, since you are paying for them and you'd bucket into like a paid media type of campaign, um, come really prepared, right? So like your goal is to be impressionable to the audience of the podcast you'll be appearing on, right? So that's your number one goal. Like how can I relate to their audience, right? And I know that sounds a little bit um, over analytical, but basically like read into the audience of that podcast, see their likes, their desires, their lingo, like the way they talk. Maybe if there's like very specific lingo that they use in that um, in that little podcast community, um, appeal to that. Right. And, you know, I hate to say it, but like it's not not necessarily fake it till you make it. But, you know, become the become the person that, you know, they would like. Um, obviously, don't completely change your persona or don't be who you're not but yeah just make sure that it's good you're prepared you're informed you stay away from any maybe topics of uh disinterest to the audience that you'll be appearing on so just do your due diligence before you appear and just make sure that it's really good because literally leverage it for what it is right it's a paid placement and your goal is to try to um suck as many of the audience or of the users as you can into your audience or you know pull them into your audience so that's that's kind of like the goal so and maybe one last that. remark these paid media offerings are rarely ever set in stone so maybe there's also some wiggle room in terms of pricing and you can uh, yeah. negotiate a better deal for yourself do you like two appearances for 1500 or something maybe you can get another appearance you know in the next quarter or something like that see if you can finagle a little bit of a more lucrative deal for yourself Usually or maybe even room. do it the other way around and say, hey, I'll come on for 500. And if this works out and there's great conversion, I'll be happy to jump on for another recording later and do the thousand. Maybe yeah. also an approach. Yeah. All right. Anybody, any, anything else to add to this question? I think that's it. All right. Nicole, yeah. hope that helps. Uh, thank you for submitting your question. If you do have a follow-up or you want some more info on it, please do reach out. Uh, for anybody who is here with us, why don't you please go ahead and like the podcast? It doesn't cost you anything, really helps the cast uh, grow, reach more people, get into the hands of more creators who might need our assistance or need our help. Like it, subscribe, give it a, a share if you can, and thanks for being here. And we will head on over now to question two, and it comes from a Nadine. And Nadine says, I consult SMEs regarding digital innovation. Currently, my content marketing strategy is centered around my blog. For a long time, it worked quite well because I did well with SEO. But lately, my numbers are soaring. How should I diversify? So that is a very good problem to have, Nadine. Congratulations on establishing an inbound marketing channel. That's one of the best things you could do. Having an owned channel where you can generate leads and generate sales is fantastic. 
Uh, and she's a consultant and founder. She uses her blog, as I mentioned. So Nadine, I think I will go ahead and start with this one. Just give my quick tips. Um, Nadine, as I mentioned, you have a good, good problem. You have an own channel that you can really test things, right? So if blogging and SEO is kind of your forte, I would say slowly start to introduce new product lines or new segments. And what I mean by that is new types of content. So maybe you already have tons of blog posts that are really informative and educational. Maybe you can turn those into videos somehow. You already have the content. You can use several different AI tools where you can paste in a blog post and say, yo, spit me out a script, right? A YouTube script for this. You can also make it a little more, um, a little more unprepared and kind of just do it off cuff, have the blog, you know, to your left, read from it, be more conversational. So those are some strategies. Um, you can also do more educational stuff just in different formats, right? So you can try like webinars or podcasts where you take some of the topics that have performed really well in your blog and turn those into webinars and podcasts, right? So typically if you have a high performing blog post, it probably means that it's good and that the content in it is really good. So turn that into a webinar or a podcast, right? It, you can assume that the content would also perform well just in different mediums. So I guess my overall, my overall advice to you is like, take the stuff that's already performing well, so just go into your metrics and see which blog posts you have that are really good and create different mediums of content around those topics. And that's a good place to start just to kind of diversify your content and to try to penetrate new types of channels, right? So YouTube's a really good one. Um, LinkedIn, obviously very good. So uh, those are kind of my, my, you know, my, my quick tips. Anybody else have anything else to add to that? Yeah, I think a, a couple or a bunch of episodes ago, actually, we talked about is blogging dead, and I presented some data that I collected that definitely showed no blogging is not dead, and especially in like the realm of professional content, people like long form, people like reading if it is useful information. So blogging and written content definitely is worthwhile. So why I would agree with everything Ron said, and these are great tactics you could experiment with, maybe for starting because you can't do everything at once, pick the one different medium that you feel most comfortable with and build, build on this. But also just when it comes to text, maybe your distribution of the content can be improved. And some things that you don't mention, so for all intents and purposes, let's assume you don't do them, is of course, build a newsletter. Use a tool like Substack, for instance, that is really great for, for writers where you could even build a premium newsletter with ease or just do your own mailing list with a service of your choice so that you can, that you can distribute the content to your established audience, to people who already once came across it. And to those that might have just missed checking your blog. Yeah, definitely. And sec second of all, there are also written content platforms, most notably Medium. So creating a profile on medium.com where either you republish your content after you put it on your blog or maybe you turn, you turn it around, could be an option. Then my understanding of the Medium algorithm and my experience with it, I've done a fair amount of publishing there, um, is everything that you republish and mark as such doesn't do as well as original stuff to to medium but you could create like shorter summaries of your of your blog posts that have a that have a like five minute read time because i assume 
having worked in consulting for quite a time myself, that maybe you do more analysis, insightful, long-form content on your blog, maybe create shortened versions that also convert to this that you create especially for Medium and build your audience there. So these are definitely two, two distribution tactics for text content that still can create. And of yeah. course, take into what account what existing channels you might have. So even though you might not have a ton of Twitter followers, if you do have some substantial numbers there already, probably a better starting point than uh, starting with a whatever account having zero followers. Definitely. Leverage your already existing audience. I just want to moonwalk quickly to what Thomas said when he mentioned newsletters. And I want to like, again, Nadine, you probably know this, but for anyone who's listening who doesn't, um, just quickly explaining like the the different utility of having an owned audience, right? So you have, an, you have a blog, SEO is your main channel, which means you probably have like a high volume of users coming to your site. They'll read that blog post. They'll come exactly, they'll come digest exactly what they came for or consume what they came for, which is that content, and then they might leave, right? So the utility of a newsletter is that you then get to keep them. I always call it a honeypot in a lot of my, a lot of our, our previous episodes. It's essentially a way for you to maintain the users when they appear to your blog. And SEO is a great way to get volume, right? To reach many users and to reach many fans. Um, but it's not a really good way to sell direct to, con to consumer type stuff. Unless you have these types of honeypots where you then capture their email, capture them as a registered user. That's like the goal, right? So with reach and with SEO, it's, it's a really good mechanism for monetizing in the form of like sponsorships, advertising, AdSense, stuff like that, where other people then sell to this audience that you have. Maybe it's not a very sticky audience, but you can then sell based on volume and just quantity of eyeballs. But when you establish like a newsletter, like what Thomas mentioned, you then open up this entire new universe of like direct to consumer where you can still do a lot of those same things where you sell sponsorships, advertising, partnerships, all that kind of stuff. But then it introduces this new arm of your business where you can then sell directly to them, whether it's courses, ebooks, um, whatever, merchandise, even like physical products and stuff like that. So that is a very important factor just to linger on for a sec. Thomas, what's up? It's a great point you're making there, Ron. And If you think about the sales process in consulting specifically, it's all about trust, right? It's not the type of product you buy at the cash register in the in the store just because you see it, but it's especially in particular if you are like a boutique. small one yeah. one woman consulting company, boutique firm, then it is about the trust and the relationship you build with your clients and relationship building is more than one contact. So From this point alone, definitely leverage what, what we have said before to build an ongoing relationship, show your expertise, your competencies, share what you did in other projects, of course, without breaching any NDAs, and then and then take it take it from there. But definitely people will have to have several contacts with your work, with your line of thinking before they reach out to you. And, yeah, multi-touch. A lot of what you're selling, Nadine, as you probably know, is very multi-touch. And an SEO blog, yeah. a little bit tough. A little bit tough to establish multi-touch if you don't have those honeypots set up. So. And lastly, 
take your content to live events, take them on stage. If you're not already doing this, that is definitely something that can be super, super valuable in consulting. Back in the days when I did it and we also leveraged a lot of content marketing, even including books and the publications, our own blog and so on. The thing that I always said, it's not about reach and mass scale, but what matters is finding the one person that buys because then they buy a, a six figure or even higher project from you. And that is and that is why this personal relationship building is so, so, yeah, so important. All right. Anybody else? Anything else on this? No, but at this point, if you do have a question that you would like us to dig into to discuss here on the show, then ask us. You can go to unify.io slash podcast and there you find a nice form. You can also just reach out on social media to us and ask your question there. And we are happy to yeah. happy to answer it here as good as we can. And also, if you like what we do, then go to Unify.io, maybe you're already there to ask a question, and check out the Unify platform, what it can do for you, and start your own platform, because that is what, in the end, supports the work we are doing here, and we really try to create the best possible toolkit for content creators, for brands who want to build a community, and for sports organizations and publishers yeah. as well. So, Unify.io. Yeah, head to the show notes, subscribe. guys. You'll find links to Test all of those things Thomas just mentioned. And uh, all right, cool. We will head on over to question three now. And it comes from Laura. Laura says, I'm a photographer that turned my hobby into a semi-profession into a semi-profession during the last NFT hype cycle. I do primarily underwater photography and manage to sell enough NFTs to live off of. Good job. We all know how the NFT market evolved since then. Even though people bought my NFTs primarily to support my work and not for speculative purposes, sales went down badly. Um, what would be your suggestion for me to keep earning some money off this work? Should I do a Patreon, paid Twitter membership, or my own platform? Um, thank you for the question, Laura. She says that she usually uses Twitter. She has a decent following, slightly above 30,000 followers. So let's bucket this into a couple of uh, categories, Thomas. Um, if you want, maybe we can address this, uh, NFT hype cycle and just kind of the overall state of it. And then we can head on, head on into uh, her specific questions. What do you think about it guys? Yeah. Generally speaking, I mean, it doesn't really matter which metrics you look at exactly. Yes. Sales went down pretty much across the board, but on the other hand, um, I think there will be the next one. Um, People said Bitcoin was dead in 2013. They called it dead in 17 and in 20. And I'm sure they will call it dead again in a few years. Um, and I think the same will go for NFTs. Um, you mentioned an interesting point, and that is that uh, you believe people bought it primarily for uh, to support you and not really for speculative purposes. I think there's you could look at some data, for example, secondary market sales that uh, could prove this this information we don't have but generally speaking i would think that's a very good basis for keeping keeping things rolling simply because people will might still want to support your work via nft or not so i think that is first yeah. of all a good situation then if you say um you have a decent following above 30k followers on twitter then launching a paid membership 
on Twitter does seem like a very logical next step and see what it uh, how it performs. Um, maybe um, Unify is even something you might want to look at. Um, I guess once uh, when you submitted that question, you might have also taken a look at that website um, because if people support you primarily for your work, they maybe also want to reach out. Um, you can give them a chance to interact in a slightly different environment than maybe Twitter. So um, maybe that is also something. You could even do it in a sub-model where you say, hey, um, for my regular supporters, similar to what you can do on Patreon, there's also the option to, I don't know, get the, maybe a travel blog when you go to different diving places. All of this uh, could be potential options, but I think you have a very, um, yeah, as I said, good basis to to keep this rolling. Yeah, and I think r real quick, Thomas, I'll hand it off to you, Laura. Um, where I kind of want to go to that when I when I mentioned NFTs or wh where we wanted to start with NFTs is that as the sentiment around a category begins to go down, what a lot of companies tend to do is they'll just press the toggle button on the naming mechanisms of the things they sell. Right, so. At one point, you were selling NFTs for people to support you. Nobody really likes NFTs anymore. So you simply change your, your naming mechanism from NFTs to su support. Yeah, digital art, support, art, digital uh, art. Know, su support art, whatever you want to call it. Something where at the end of the day, the utility of it is that you want people to support your work. And that's how people have been using it, right? So, And then when NFTs pop off again, you just switch that naming scheme right back to NFTs if you want, if you want to get into that type of practice. But for the most part, um, the technology, right? The technology is what is being used. At some point, maybe none of us will be referring to NFTs anymore. That's kind of how we feel here at Liquidity Team. Thomas, go ahead and take it away. Yeah, Laura, one detail that I want to point out that is a, a feature in Unify that could be of interest and also maybe a limitation that you overlooked. So, You used the NFT hype to sell NFTs, <coughs> but was the average art buyer buying NFTs? I know some art buyers definitely dabbled with it, but the, the entry barrier to buying NFT-based digital art was still fairly high because you had to get uh, your wallet set up, your cryptocurrency, and so on to purchase it. But all that was worth it during the hype time because so if your assumption is right, people didn't buy, buy it for speculative purposes, but still they believed in the value, the curiosity factor, novelty factor that came with it. As all this is gone now, maybe people are less likely to go through all that hassle that comes with crypto onboarding. And you may have even lost a fair amount of people who liked your work but didn't buy. And also in general, traffic on platforms like OpenSea and stuff just went down badly. Just people that might all have down. stumbled across yeah. your pictures all, like all randomly. That. All that. So what we do at Unify basically since day one, because we wanted to build a product that is just accessible to everyday users, not only to, to early adopter geeky types. We said, create NFTs, but sell them with regular payment methods and that is something we do so what you could easily test is that we that you start selling digital art based on nfts but like ron proposed just branded as what it is and offer a different payment method very easy to do but i also i also want to be fair to give a bit of context to 
when does building your own platform, for instance, based on Unify, make sense? You you need some established reach. And with 30K Twitter followers, it's definitely, it's I guess, a good point at which you can do it. But of course, that's not all. I believe if you're in the art space, also reaching the art community makes sense. Maybe you want to venture into physical uh, into the physical art world as well, right? Because the the traction you get from digital, you can convert to to the analog world, and there you can meet new people and build cloud. In the end, art is a cloud game, just like the rest of the creator economy. And there, galleries and all the established places where art is being sold, art is being uh, uh, how do you call it? Not exposed. What do you well, but published made available to the public. All that is useful. So also explore what you can do outside of the internet. Yeah, I think a couple of times prior, we've gotten some questions about like, hey, this is my hobby, this is my passion, I'm a content creator. Like, how can I monetize? How can I create like sustainable business around it? So like, there are some some other past episodes where we've addressed this. Um, do you guys have any advice for for Laura about like, how to increase discovery, right? So as Jonas mentioned, like sales and overall just users have reduced on a lot of these NFT platforms. These A lot of people might have been d discovering your stuff on accident. Um, do you guys have any tips for Laura of how she can maybe like increase her top funnel discovery just to reach more people in general? Do a guest appearance on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Laura. Yeah. I think I think two, a few things come to mind that are specific to this place. So Unsplash is like a free photography platform that many photographers use. Maybe put some stuff yeah. on Unsplash. Of course, not your best works that you monetize, but this could, especially because underwater photography, I don't know if it's super popular there already, but it's uh, yeah something that not everybody does, right? So you could have a, a differentiator here. And then there are, of course, the the art-based established communities that exist. Um, maybe you already are on there, but maybe but maybe you're not, then definitely go to these places as well. I'm just blanking on the names, I had, but I will check I had them a, while I had somebody a little bit in. of a it's a little bit of an ambiguous tip, but I hope it can help you, Laura. So basically when I think about like cooking influencers, right? Online YouTube chefs, um a lot of the times they sell courses or they sell cookbooks. You know, they, they'll create their own cookbook. Um, they'll do sponsorships and all that kind of stuff. So that's how they monetize. But um, typically the main user generating ac activity that they do is they'll do videos of them cooking, right? Or they'll do videos of the process of cooking, right? So like, I don't know, can you apply that somehow to your brand where the product, right, that you want to sell is potentially art as well as some of those other things like sponsorships eventually and direct-to-consumer stuff. But if that's the product, maybe you can make your core content creation like, um, I don't know, I think it'd be really cool to see the process of how you even do underwater photography. Like make like it's little mini one to catch if yeah. you're a one-person business kind uh, of. Okay, yeah. I don't know, maybe you need like a second diver with the second camera. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you could put a GoPro on your somewhere. I don't know. It's just something, a simple GoPro attached to your, to your, to your gear. And then you doing voiceover afterwards, 
I don't know, like, is there some type of like parallel supplemental content you can create where the content itself is not the product, but it's just a way to reach more people. And then, you know, you can very clearly stay in, in that content, like, hey, by the way, if you want to support what I'm doing, you know, to support this project, you know, buy my NFTs or whatever. And one last thing I would like to just to complete my my point from before. So DeviantArt, Behance, these are the platforms I was thinking about. There are several others as well. And to Ron's point, uh, a guy, again, blanking this time, I will not do research, but early HDR photography days, um, there was a guy who became really, really big via, via Flickr and other tools. And he had his own blog where he did a lot of like explanation how to do HDR photography. But that made his photography pretty famous yeah. and he sold his works for a lot of money. So it's a strategy that yeah. has precedent. And yeah, I think it's just, well. I think it's, sorry. So he told us. Uh, yeah, one last thing, basically, I also wanted to wrap this one up. Um, stick with it because I've seen plenty of crypto hype cycles uh, over the years now. And what always remains true is if you've, performed in a previous hype cycle that gives you this kind of OG status in the next wave. Like she's been around for, for years. She's been around even back then and now she's still here. That usually gives you a lot of credibility and should also then yeah boost boost sales in the end. I mean that's yeah. that's what it's about at some point. Good so point. stick with it um because that will definitely help your previously built reputation in the space. Uh, to really take advantage of the next hype cycle, if yeah. and when it appears. Yeah, where they say Bitcoin has nine lives. Have you heard that? Yeah. So, Laura, hope that helps. If any of you guys have anything else to add, speak now, forever hold your peace. Otherwise, we will close it out, guys. Thank you so much for being with us. If you are still here, please head over, give it a like, give it a share, give it a subscribe. Give us a rating if you're listening to it on Spotify or I think on Apple Podcasts, you can also give things ratings. We'd appreciate a rating, um, you know. And questions. Four and five stars only. If you do want to give us a one star, just don't <laughs> or do. <laughs> and it's good feedback for us. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for being here. Um, we will catch you guys on the next episode.